standard issue for all women. Dobro pochalved vrosiu. Oh, sorry, no. Uh, hello, welcome to the Standard Issue Podzine. It's episode 40. I'm Mickey Noonan, and I used to be genuinely scared of blood oranges. Why? Blood oranges. Why would you put the two together? It's not real blood. No, no, they changed the name to Ruby, and I'm fine with them now. Yeah, fair enough. I'm Hannah Levy, and yesterday I saw Aha. I'm Jen Offord, and I'm excited about the World Cup. Later on, Hannah and I chat women screenwriters and why there aren't anywhere near enough with the excellent Lisa Holsworth from the Writers Guild of Great Britain. Sarah Nelson from Transport Focus talks to us about the current shit show slash train mageddon. I catch up with broadcaster Kate Borsay about the upcoming and aforementioned World Cup. And I do Disney's Mulan. But first, spy cams, cock whistles and the magic numbers. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, where we answer all the big questions of the week. Like, why would the family of Muhammad Ali take a presidential pardon off a draft-dodging racist arsewipe? <laughs> Indeed. Great news for fans of not believing women and injustice. And yeah, it's almost as if I'm putting those two hand in hand. Paddy Jackson is back on the rugby pitch. The former Ulster and Ireland fly half, who was earlier this year found not guilty of rape and sexual assault after an absolute shitshow of a trial, was then sacked by Ulster and Ireland, but has now signed a two-year contract with French team Perpignan. Yes, Jackson was cleared of the charges, and that's pretty much all I can say on that score, because the law. But just to reiterate what we said at the time, if a woman leaves your company bleeding and crying while you exchange messages with your mates about what legendary shaggers you all are, you should be taking a long, hard look at yourself rather than being in any sort of position where people will look up to you. But you know, at least it gives courage to other blokes worried that no one will think of the men's careers. Nah, you'll be alright, Jack. To South Korea, where I'm not sure we've ever been in the Bush Telegraph before. Where Saturday saw the largest protest by women in the country's history. An estimated 30,000 of them took to the streets of Seoul, carrying signs that read, My life is not your pawn, and I want to shit with my guard down, to protest perceived police inaction of the growing problem of Molka in the country. Molka are basically easily available miniature spy cameras, which have been increasingly placed in public places like toilets, changing rooms and gyms, with recovered footage being sold as porn on the internet. Such is the grinding inevitability of falling victim to this craze that anecdotal evidence suggests that women are often forced to cover their faces when using public facilities rather than be identifiable in the footage of them changing a tampon which could ultimately end up circulated on the internet. Just fucking horrific. The issue has gained extra prominence after a female student was arrested for filming and spreading an image of a nude male model posing for an art class at Hongik University earlier this month. By contrast, between 2012 and 2017, around 540 people out of more than 20,900 suspected perpetrators in Molka cases were arrested, with some of those being released without punishment. And while it's clear that it was probably easier to catch the student than it would be to catch the wank-stained masses secreting cameras in their shoes and shooting footage up women's skirts on busy trains, that doesn't mean the police should be holding their hands up and saying, oh, what's to be done? Or whatever that is in Korean. Kim Jong-un, probably. Mm-hmm. Protesters were demanding tougher penalties for both the perpetrators, 
and anyone watching the videos, as well as restrictions on the sale of the cameras. And too fucking right, if you can't play with your toys nicely, boys, you shouldn't have them. Excuse me, I need to just go and scream into a hole, probably forever. Do you want to know something moderately funny? Yes, please. My spell check repeatedly attempted to change the, the statement wank-stained to the statement self-sustained. It's kind well, of the same thing. Well, exactly. It kind of suggests to me it knew what I was talking about. It was just trying to put it in a slightly nicer, mm. less sweary fashion. <laughs> poor but South I'll... Korea. Jesus, or poor women of South Korea. Yes, that is just horrific. Yeah. Yeah, that's not fun. And speaking of things that aren't fun, um, Donald Trump fucked off absolutely everyone again this week, including NBF Emmanuel Macron, after trashing the G7 summit in Canada. The giant man-child had some naughty words for leading feminist and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. One of uh, one of the world's leading feminists, he if is, you ask me. Yeah. He is one yeah. of the world's leading feminists, but, you know... But why would a, we ask you, a woman? But he's also a defender of steel... I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'll come to that. So he had some naughty words for Justin Trudeau, who he accused via Twitter, of course, of being dishonest and weak over an ongoing row over US tariffs on steel and, I want to say, aluminum, because <laughs> I'm talking about... <laughs> get, Sorry, Americans. Get out. Sorry. Uh, imports. In response to Trudeau's comments that Canada wouldn't be pushed around... I'll say that again. The intonation was weird. The intonation? The intonation was weird. Was weird. I um, put the emphasis in the wrong <laughs> I don't plaque. know why I'm saying it like an American um, Buckingham Palace. <laughs> <laughs> the Sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> Leicester Square. <laughs> or my favourite, Herogody. Oh, Herogody, yeah. yeah. I call it Herogody. I quite like Worcester Sheer Sauce. There is a brilliant video of a programme, Go Fishing with Jack Charlton, in which he really, really has beef with the word Worcestershire. It's great. You should watch it if you ever get this But chance. we digress. We do digress <laughs> somewhat. Anyway, he said that Canada wouldn't be pushed around, and Trump threw all of his toys out of the pram and said he wasn't going to play anymore. Uh, again, in a tweet, because 280 is the ideal number of characters in which to enact international diplomacy. Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree Did on that. Did he use any emojis? Not this time, no. Um, a couple of uh, exclamation marks. Oh, only two. Of um, reeling that one in. Trump said he had instructed U.S. representatives not to endorse the communique, so he could go and impose tariffs on other things too. And off he went to Singapore to work his considerable charm on renowned voice of reason Kim Jong Un. What's to be done? <laughs> Macron, the man clearly positioned himself as the new Angela Merkel, responded that international cooperation cannot be dictated by fits of anger and throwaway remarks. It's looking good, isn't it, guys? The world? It is. I fucking love that photo that Merkel put into the world of of her just banging hands on the table and him sitting there with his arms crossed like a naughty boy. I saw the caption... um, uh, the leader of the free world meets Donald Trump, which I absolutely <laughs> loved. Oh, go Merkel. Okay, given it's a day of the week with a Y in it, it's time to call out Jeremy Hunt for being a colossal fuck nipple. Before the walking rhyming slang started wreaking havoc with our NHS, he was busy lining fat cat's pockets with public money as culture secretary. That's right, back in 2011, Hunt introduced an ambitious plan for what was tagged local TV with the BBC mandated to hand over finances to support 30 city-specific stations, all required to air an hour of local news content each day. 
Thank goodness this ambitious plan was in competent hands, or it could have wound up being a way for one company to wangle around £3 million of public cash. Oh. BuzzFeed News has been doing its homework and discovered that a company called That's TV, owned by a businessman called Daniel Cass, had bagged 14 of the local broadcast licences. But its output has been, well, piss weak to say the least, with several of its stations getting less than 30 viewers a day. In April, Ofcom gave the nod to the fact that the mission to create a sustainable network of TV stations a la America had failed. When Hunt first announced the initiative, he called the collective of local TV stations a spine, but it seems his search for one of those continues. At least no one's touting him as future party lead. Oh, God. Well, at least there's no one worse than him. Oh, God. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, Boris Johnson was in hot water again this week after another round of dick swinging to the detriment of absolutely everyone other than himself. In comments made at a private dinner that were, in inverted commas, leaked... Bojo criticised the UK's Brexit strategy, saying that it lacked guts and referred to the Treasury, you know, that place that makes sure we don't get economically fucked, as the heart of Remain. Johnson added that issues around the Irish border had been allowed to, and I quote, dictate the whole agenda. Thoughts that I think we can all agree are um, very constructive. Incredibly Mm. constructive, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, (laughs) gets better. He says... It's so small, and there are so few firms that actually use that border regularly, willfully ignoring over 350 years of, let's face it, quite a chequered history between I, I Britain really, and Ireland. I really wish that the listeners could see Hannah's face, because it's just it's it's, one of despair and really anger and it more really despair. Is. Do we think that he, that, like, that's actually what he thinks the point is? No one's shipping their the, goods through it, so who cares? I think genuinely... The lack of history oh, like knowledge. Purpose, but... of, no, I think it's absolute ignorance. I think that, that most of them have never been to the Northern Ireland. I don't think they understand it. I think they've got a real bravado-laden, like, well, we're the British and they're the Irish, like old-fashioned racism that exists. <sighs> well, <sighs> I mean, I personally don't believe the comments were leaked. And if they were by anyone other than... Boris Johnson but um, <laughs> do you think Boris is getting leaked confused with spoke yes with I gave these quotes to the press I, I think spoke might to the have. press yes because do you think he goes I'm going to just go and take a quick spoke <laughs> and in those leaked comments Johnson spoke of his increasing admiration for reanimated Merkin uh-huh. Donald J Trump who if he were negotiating Brexit would go in bloody hard uh, said Bojo and it I was going to say that isn't a Trump sentence, is it? <laughs> no. Bloody hard. Uh, that's Goodly obviously hard. Bojo. <laughs> Goodly hard. Bigly, Bigly hard. hard. <laughs> anyway, Bojo, it would be funny if it weren't so dangerous. And it's not dangerous for Boris, of course, because this prick has lied his way throughout... Poli- speak. Has lied his Leak. way... <laughs> has lied his way <laughs> throughout his political... And indeed, private life, and appears to have made more inexplicable comebacks than the Fast and Furious franchise. You can't help but wonder where this totally transparent power play leaves the rest of us, however. Is it fucked? More fucked than ever? I don't know. Or increasingly fucked? Or Did you see the story that some people were saying there should be a poll? in Ireland as to whether as to what to do with the border like just chuck it out there yeah. like basically going that's has gone, anyone got yeah. any ideas yeah guys uh, any thoughts on this yeah 
I mean, to be honest, though, Boris isn't the only one that's wrong on it. But Matt Zarb Cousins, who used to be um, uh, Corbyn's spokesman, um, I saw uh, Aoife Grace Moore, who does some work for us, give him an absolute glorious roasting on Twitter for his argument that, um, you know, other most people have got better things to worry about than Brexit if your life's already so shit. And she's like, ah, no, in the North we haven't. Literally, it's Brexit. That's it. Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. Because if it goes wrong, then, like, we're back to that. And that is, we don't want to go back there. Yeah, that's that's famously not good. Yeah. It's like, you know that they sometimes say that the 80s is the decade that taste forgot. It also appears that it's the decade that the government forgot. Mm. Well, I mean, it's heady, heady days for the Tories, to be fair. So, you know... Yeah, they were doing all right in the eighties, weren't they? Well, coke yeah. was cheaper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, what's everyone doing this weekend? Well, not coke; it's way too expensive, yeah. isn't it? Uh, well, if you're in London and you're listening and you haven't got plans, Oof. you might still be able to get a ticket to Jazz Fest. Sorry, what? Tell me more. Jazz Fest. Uh, in fact, you'll probably get a ticket for free. Jazz Fest is, in fact, Labour Live is the official name. Mm. Jazz Fest is just what it's been called. Jazz Fest. Mickey and I were discussing this the other day. Mickey said she'd rather go to something called Jazz Fest. <laughs> and I said, in all honesty, I'd rather go to something called Jazz Fest. That's how strongly I feel about not going Basically to Jazz Fest. any other vowel. Yeah. Jazz Fest. Jazz Fest. We we thought is what Jazz Fest is called in Northern Ireland. Jazz Fest. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving Sounds on. Nice. No, you have a yeah. They know we like them. Labour actually might be looking at a loss on the event, which is frankly hard to believe, given it features such bands as Reverend and the Makers Ooh. and the Magic Numbers. Sorry, oh. is it two thousand and five again? Plus, plus, according plus. <laughs> According to a tweet by everybody's favourite working class feminist, Owen Jones, and to be clear, I present this entirely without comment, uh-huh. it will feature a rap battle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to try again. <laughs> Hot in this room, and I'm sweating profusely. Entirely without comment, right, Hannah? (laughs) I'm sorry, back to this. And to be clear, I present this entirely without comment. It will feature a rap battle between him and Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell. What will they be rapping about, do you think? I, I literally have nothing to say on this. Of course. Because Hannah's presented it entirely without comment. Entirely without comment. Entirely without comment. <laughs> I mean, but... <laughs> we've lost her. We've lost her. We always knew it was going to happen. She's, she's fallen over the edge. Oh, dear God. <laughs> now, for some people, that might have uh, filled this particular box, but does anyone fancy some good news? <laughs> yes, please. Please. Well, it's a whoop whoop and about fucking time as the UK Supreme Court ruled that the law on abortion in Northern Ireland is incompatible with human rights in cases of rape or fatal fetal abnormality. It's a win. It's a win. They're getting there. The conversation's still going. PMT bag continues to have the backbone of a slug, and I can only apologise to slugs, but she has stated that if MPs force a vote in the Commons, she won't obstruct them. Oh, that's nice of her. Yeah, that's good of her, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's quite literally the very least she could do. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Yeah. I'm well, it's going to have to do it. Yeah. All right. I'll leave the room. I mean, I'm going to have to go to the toilet at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Take a speak. Um, 
<laughs> Keep hassling your MPs, please. And also a shout out to Spain and Pedro Sanchez's socialist government, which has a record number of women in cabinet positions. 11 out of 17, in fact. More than half. I mean, obviously... Oh, it's political correctness gone, gone mad. mad. Yeah. safety gone mad. It's because they can't do maths. Obviously, there is a genuine fear that Spain's about to drown in a sea of oestrogen or get sucked up by an alien tampon monster from space that's just been waiting for the right moment. But until then, bro that country. OK, so one newspaper's already run a piece advising the 11 female ministers on how they can improve and then flaunt their looks. But this is the good news section, so I'm just going to leave it there. Did they say flaunt? Yes. Was it a Spanish newspaper or was it the Daily Mail? It was the Spanish newspaper How that is the equivalent of the Daily Mail. Spanish. I'd like uh, to know for future references. El Flonto. El Flonto, yeah. Google it, guys. More news uh, next week. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where we debate sexism and then wait patiently for a man to interrupt us and tell us how we've got it all wrong. There was a major leap forward in the... <laughs> She's thinking about Owen Chains again, isn't she? Is. She? she is. And John McDonnell with no comment. Neither. <laughs> Sorry. There was a major leap forward in the battle against sexism this week when Piers Morgan conceded that upskirt photos should not be taken. What? I know, right? Alas, before women the world over could make Morgan our new leader, the walking wang tip proceeded to talk over Coronation Street actor Nicola Thorpe in a Good Morning Britain interview as she explained how the language used to describe women in newspapers, she is a woman, and in the newspaper was recently described as flaunting her cleavage. That was the Daily Mail, wasn't it? I'd have thought so. For having the nerve to wear a dress she likes is sexist and very different to the language used about men. Morgan, a man who looks like spoiled ham-fucked armchair stuffing and makes about as much sense, just loves talking about how women should present themselves so as not to get objectified. In fairness, his is a simple solution. Don't. Just, just don't go out, women. If you're not up for getting gawped at and objectified, simply stay inside the house with the curtains drawn and a balaclava on. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that's the gist. Morgan had an ally in former newspaper editor Neil Wallace, who also had an opinion on what Thorpe could do better, asking her why she felt the need to walk the red carpet at all. And after she told him that she'd actually been nominated for an award, he scoffed that maybe she was in the wrong profession. News of the World, in case you were wondering, Neil Wallace was deputy editor of the News of the World under Andy Coulson. So, yeah, I'm going to be calling him for advice too and probably recording it. As I say, you don't need to. You just leave it on your answer phone and he'll find it himself. I mean, picking Piers Morgan for Sexism of the Week might feel easy as pie, but seriously, will someone please put that pie in the bin? Gladly. Hi, we're here in... Where are we? Halifax. In Halifax. In the lovely Halifax. Halifax, the North Halifax. I know. I, I know. It's too, too many hills. <laughs> anyway, with Lisa Holdsworth, TV writer and deputy chair of the Writers Guild of Great Britain. That's right. What have we interrupted you writing today, Lisa? I've just finished on Ackley Bridge, which was shot in Halifax, and I'm just starting on Call the Midwife. When's that? So that yeah. that will start shooting. It's shooting now. I've just been to okay. an artist's house and it's covered in tinsel already for Christmas. So. That must be weird. It is a little bit strange. Even weirder for the actors in their winter coats when the weather's all lovely. Is that so. why you've made us put these party hats on? That's exactly <laughs> why. Thanks, Lisa. Where are my crackers? Fun though that would be. The reason we got you here is to talk to you about equality rights. Mm-hmm which has recently revealed that despite the fact that we're constantly told that things are getting better for women, only 16% of film writers are female and only 14% of primetime TV dramas are written by a woman. 
It's been an interesting few weeks since the report came out. I think anecdotally we knew and our members knew, our female members particularly knew, that the figures weren't good. So when we commissioned this report about 18 months ago, we thought, well, this is going to be of mild embarrassment to the BBC, ITV, the BFI, Screen Yorkshire as well. When the figures came in, and we've been sitting on them for six months because they all had to be double-checked and gone over and we had to make sure that we, we were absolutely getting this right, we were stunned. We knew it was bad. We didn't think it was this bad. And it's, for a film over ten years, an absolute flat line. In fact, if anything, it's got worse for, for female film writers over the last ten years, and we've looked at 15 years of television production. And it just, it, it's staggering. And what seems to be happening in TV production particularly is that plenty of women are coming into the industry. So we're not f- fishing from a small pond. But as we progress up the career ladder, there's a massive drop-off. So really good figures in soap operas, continuing drama series and children's television. And then as we start asking for the bigger commissions, the bigger budgets, it's just not happening. I'm not sure if you can answer this, but why? I think there's many reasons. The report was independent, and and their conclusion was there's an echo chamber of of men talking to each other, the same men being invited to come in and pitch and talk to the commissioners. So it's irrelevant. The figure that gets chucked back back at is a lot of commissioning editors now are female. That has made absolutely no difference whatsoever. The same people have got the ear of the commissioners over and over again. Then those people are going to get commissioned. And for some women, that's fantastic. We have amazing female television and film writers in this country. But there's also, we think there is a certain amount of conscious bias that women are not considered a safe pair of hands for the big genres like science fiction and fantasy, action, that kind of thing. I've written a bit of action in my time. I used to write on a show called Robin Hood. And I thought that I'd be getting offers on those kind of shows once I'd I'd proved myself. I wrote what I consider to be two really strong episodes. I've never been seen for anything like that since. So women are not seen as um, say pair hands for those big genre, which is an absolute fallacy. Just to put this to rest, did you struggle as a woman to write action? No, I was literally acting out the sword fights. (laughs) fights. Uh, My neighbours think I'm quite strange, but I I loved it. It it was my thing. I love writing action sequences. I love writing a bit of tough dialogue, all that kind of stuff. I absolutely hit my stride on that show. I loved it. And I've pitched projects of that ilk since and never got them seen because I, I can't say definitively it's because I've got a girl's name, but it might be. There's two different problems here, isn't it? Number one, it's that good women writers aren't being used. Mm. And the second thing is that the female characters who appear on our television are being written by men, essentially, then. Which of those is more troubling to you, or are they both... There's been, and I won't name names because it's not fair to the writers, I don't think any writer sets out to do a poor job, but there there was a run recently of big TV dramas written by men about women, and that, I think, the commissioners, in their idea that it is getting better, see female faces on television and think, oh, we've done it, we've finally broken that glass ceiling. What I found frustrating is several of those dramas, I wanted to ask the writer, have you ever met an actual human woman? Because (laughs) now these women are reacting, behaving, just didn't ring true. And and that happens. Some people don't uh, enjoy things because it doesn't ring true to them. But I, talking with my colleagues and saying, that's ludicrous. No woman in the world would behave like that. Inexplicable behaviour. And also a lot of 
psychotic behaviour given to her. The minute a woman is put under pressure, suddenly she's pushing her rival down a flight of stairs in, in a really poorly executed stunt. Um, <laughs> or, you know, threatening to kill her husband. Again, name it, no names. Yeah. It sort of reinforces the idea of women as unreasonable and psychotic and on the edge. And the minute they're put under a bit of pressure, it all goes horribly, horribly wrong. That takes us back to something we were talking about before we started recording, where you mentioned three categories that women in soap operas quite often get chucked into. I used to work on Emmerdale, and, and there was a time when I looked at our female cast, and the three categories were the bitch. Now, within that, you can have the bitch that you're rooting for or the absolute cow that you hope falls under a, a bus. The, the simpleton, the lovely, you know, wide-eyed girl who, who's always screwed over by the man, etc., etc., but we're all rooting for her. Or the mother, the, and Emmerdale was particularly bad for it for a while. It was lots of women, you know, packing up sandwiches for the farmers and washing their hands in the sink, and that was all they seemed to get to do. And every story was played through their relationship to men, not to themselves, to other women. And that was the other worry, that those categories meant that, that there were not particularly strong female friendships in the show at that time. It has improved massively since then I do think female friendships uh, and kinship is a big part of that show now and it works brilliantly I think there is a lazy trope in telly and in film of just pitting women against other women absolutely well I think this is I mean albeit it was written by a man but that's actually what really impressed me about David Simon's The Deuce that was about a group of women working in the sex industry in the 1970s and they actually all really liked each other yeah and that was that was a really unusual thing to see that these women were all from different places different had different problems but actually relatively united under which which is what actually happens in those situations you're going to say it's a fantasy series no, <laughs> no reality there um i think part of the reason this has been obscured perhaps is that actually those women that are on television are doing such a good job mm. that they're being talked about all the time that it would seem that at first glance things are better. And I mean people like Sharon Horgan, Sally Wainwright, Michaela Cole, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. How do we get more of those people on television? Particularly in the comedy world, what we need is less commissioners going, oh, well, we've already commissioned something with a woman in it. Uh, we've got our Saran Jones project for this year. I, I mean, I could watch Saran Jones until the cows get. I could watch her read the phone book. But we need to open up and look at other aspects of women that f- women's drama and comedy is not a genre. It's just drama and comedy that happens to have women in it or happens to be written by women. And I, it's true for men as well. There are, there are a lot of familiar faces that you get to see over and over again. But for women, it's a, again, it is a smaller number of women. I'd like more household names. I'd like to see more black and Asian women being household names in TV as well, because I think we're seriously lacking in that. And if you see it, then you believe you can be it. It will sell things for yeah. the future. Yeah. If well, there is a divide of, of gender, there's a divide of race. There's also, it would seem that natural that there's going to be a class divide there's going to be an age divide there's going to be a north south divide this is just the start for the girl this the the sourcing the material for this was was easy because you can make an assumption about the gender of someone's of a writer on a show by their name if you say a claire or a francesca then it's a good chance we're talking about a female writer unless they're under a pseudonym although we did find one particular show when the writer doesn't want to be credited does you use a woman's name which until we discovered it skewed the figures rather 
um, horribly. Well, we won't mention what that name is, what that show is. But for race, you cannot make the same assumptions based on that kind of information. And that's why one of the recommendations of the report, and what we're very strongly campaigning on, is better reporting of diversity. There is a pro- there's Project Diamond, which uh, the BBC, ITV, Channel 4 and Sky have signed up to, but it's not allowing us to look at material on a programme-by-programme basis. So we don't know whether Songs of Praise is completely run by white men. We don't, we've no idea. It's not a finger-pointing exercise that we want to do. We don't want to, you know, bang on the door of... I don't know why I'd pick Songs of Praise. The producer of Songs of Praise <laughs> and white, the more women on, on your show... Um, I feel like it's a really good guess, though, of something that yeah, will be possibly, entirely run by possibly. white men. I've yeah. just got images of Lisa running down the aisle. <laughs> like, Who runs this show? More <laughs> women in your choir. <laughs> show yourselves, men. <laughs> but that kind of reporting about, you know, and it would have to be voluntary. Some people don't want to tick certain boxes. That's fine. But if we had a better understanding so that when commissioners and controllers say to us oh it's definitely getting better they're saying it about women and it turned out to be a lie they're saying it about black and asian writers actors etc i have a sneaky suspicion that they're kidding themselves on that as well they're saying it about gay writers they're saying it about writers with disability and they're saying it about access to for working class writers it's probably not the case Let's just bring out your dead. Let's be really honest, have really great diversity reporting so that we're all speaking from truth instead of uh, a guesstimate and because I saw Rizak Med on a show last week, hey, there are Asian people on the television. That's not fair. It's not fair on Riz and it's not fair on other writers. I guess it's the same as if you see it, you can be it. It's like if you can, if you know it, you can tackle it. Exactly. The, I think assumptions are... are a problematic and do you know what if it had turned out that our report said it's a 50-50 split women are doing fantastically that would have been great we would have owed uh, various people at the BBC an apology but um, as I, it stands fuck them yeah <laughs> <laughs> I take no delight in it a little bit of delight um, <laughs> we need to know what the truth is and so that's one of our big recommendations as a viewer what can people do to demonstrably show that that's what they want they want more women on television short of watching Happy Valley and tweeting incessantly about it, which is kind of my room. The the thing is, the audience are already doing their bit. So, British films written by women do better at the box office than ones written by men. They make more money back, they're better critically acclaimed, and they get a better audience reaction. So, you know, it's supposed to be a very market force industries film. Every other film should be written by by a woman, not 16%. That's ludicrous. So, I would say... I wouldn't give any responsibility to the audience. I think audiences are incredible in this country. They're sophisticated, they care, they're critical where it needs to be. They absolutely engage with television in this film. Um, more power to them. I just wish the commissioners had listened to them a bit more. Amazing. Yeah. Is there anything you can tell us since you're working on Call the Midwife? Is there anything that... I bet you can't, can you? I can't. It's the most exciting job I've ever had. It's it's absolutely fantastic. And now that is a show that is 100% written by women and it's got a female showrunner. It gets 10 million without breaking a sweat. So again, things written by women, really successful. Who knew? I don't want to do a spoiler, Hannah, but I've heard that they're going to have a Christmas. 
Oh, God. I've said too much. You said too much. I have to say I'm not a big washer of Call the Midwife, although my mum absolutely loves it. So if I'm at her house on a Sunday night, I do watch it. I think it does an awful lot of things really, really right. In fact, we were talking to Julia Rayside the other day. I don't think there's been a better description of how women interact with each other since Tenko. Exactly. I think that's oh, Tenko's a great show. They're repeating that at the moment. But what I'd also say about um, a show like Call the Midwife and All Power, Tidy Thomas, who created it and believed in it and fought for it, is it is one of the most subversive shows on television. Eight o'clock on a Sunday night, they're covering things like illegal abortion, sexually transmitted diseases, incest, things like that. There is nowhere they won't go. And they just slide it into your eight o'clock Sunday yeah. night viewing. Take that songs of praise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for meeting us, Lisa. This has been interesting, vaguely infuriating. <laughs> and thanks also to Square Chapel for putting us up in the dressing room so we could have a chat with Lisa. Hi, we're here today with Sarah Nelson. She's the head of communications at Transport Focus which is the Independent Transport User Network, to be brief. I think it's slightly more uh, involved than that. Thanks for being here, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So we're here to talk about what word should we, should we use? Trainmageddon? Trainmageddon. The, the current shit show, I don't really know how to describe it. I mean, an- chaos. Mick and I use trains a lot, and anecdotal evidence from us would suggest that things are bad, but you probably actually have some facts and figures about how bad it actually is. Yes and no. Um, actually, until fairly recently, things had been getting pe- better for people on Thameslink especially, which had been quite bad. I used Thameslink myself and it was a bit of a nightmare. Um, it had started slowly getting better. So in our satisfaction survey, we talked to about 60,000 passengers a year across the, the, the whole of Great Britain and um, it had started to show an, an upwards trend in satisfaction. People were noticing that punctuality was getting better. Then on the 20th of May, they decided to bring in some new timetables and all hell broke loose, let's just say. And all hell broke loose all over the country, basically. That's right. It's mostly affected people using Thameslink and the great northern end of Thameslink and then northern um, and a bit of the Transpennine network as well. Yeah, I mean, we've heard of people who... There's one person got in touch and said they've got an elderly parent in uh, West Cumbria and they're based in South Yorkshire they themselves are disabled so they just don't want to risk making the journey because it involves three trains and because they can be cancelled at any moment they could end up stuck somewhere miles from anywhere or me personally this is a bit less emotive but as a heavily pregnant woman you know you kind of rush to make the one train you know is running per hour you get there and you find it's not happening and then you either have to try and make your way with a heavy bag via three trains or wait 45 minutes for the next one which doesn't look great when you get in the office and no. also what happens when they're late or cancelled is the next one tends to be absolutely packed. Mm. So yeah. that hell on earth becomes hell in just one carriage where and no one can breathe. At peak time, it's already pretty crowded and the new trains were meant to do something about that. This could have been a brilliant success story, but then what's actually happened is everyone's just complaining about absolutely everything. I use Great Northern um, to get in from Cambridge to King's Cross since the timetable change. Every single train has been advertised as an eight carriage and actually when I've got on it it has been a four carriage so it's been massively overcrowded and also every single one I've been on has allegedly been a fast train but somewhere along the journey they've announced and this is after you're on the train so you can't do anything about it that you are now stopping at several other stops. So every single train I have been on has been 
late. And I only come in once or twice a week. I don't know how people who come in every single day would cope. You are getting a high volume of complaints, I assume. Well, we will be. This is general advice for people. If you have a complaint to make to the train company, you go direct to the train company. And if they don't help you, you can then come to us as the independent watchdog. So we will start to get those calls feeding through in the next week or so once people have got frustrated with the we have to let the train company have a chance to deal with it but anecdotally we know what's going on lots of our staff are traveling so we know and we also collecting people's stories through surveys and through twitter so you know we're getting some but the actual complaints will come soon i just wanted to pick up on a point that you made though a lot of the media attention focuses on the regular five-day commuters in london because let's face it that's where a lot of journalists are it, it is affecting other areas of the country and, you know, it, it does impact on people's lives. It's not just getting into standard office work, it's getting back to pick up kids, make appointments, work things. But the people who don't work five days a week don't tend to buy season tickets. So one thing that we are doing, as well as obviously pushing the train companies to say, come on, sort this out, is to say, and when you put out your compensation package, don't just talk about season tickets. Obviously people who travel five days a week are going to want to see some compensation when they buy their next season ticket but loads of people don't work that way some people like you come in two days a week I'm lucky enough to be able to say I'm going to work from home a couple of days this week especially because the trains aren't very good so I don't have a regular travel pattern but I should still get some compensation and so should you when we're stuck and delayed and our lives are negatively impacted. I think that's part of the problem because you know you kind of feel like it's a bit, it's a stereotypical British thing. In fact, it's almost Alan Partridge, isn't it, to moan about the trains. It's like moaning about the weather. But people will say to you, I would just get an earlier train. And you're like, that isn't the answer. I mean, sometimes you can't because you're doing something else or childcare. Sometimes an earlier train puts you on a more expensive train and people can't afford it. And sometimes life is busy and you just, you should be, in the same way that when you turn on the BBC and it says the news is going to be on at nine o'clock and you just expect the news to be on at nine o'clock unless, you know, there's been a catastrophic power failure or something. In the same way, if it says that there's a train leaving at half past eight in the evening, you should just expect that it's going to be leaving and that if you've paid the money, you should be able to get on it. Absolutely. I mean, that should have happened from the start. But then when everyone realised something was going wrong, they've dealt with it in different ways. So Northern took a lot of the new planned trains out of the timetable and said, we're going to ruin the service that isn't as good, but at least you can rely on it. And then Thameslink <laughs> didn't straight away, and I gather are working on various options now, they need to kind of have contingency plans and, and ways of saying to people, right, hands up, we're really sorry, this isn't going well, but at least these trains are going to run and you can rely on them. And in some parts of um, Thameslink, that is happening now. We're, we're getting people reporting that it's slightly better at the north end um, and coming into Victoria. But I know that I personally am on part of the route that they've just taken so many trains out and then they're still cancelling them. So this morning I left extra early to get up to 7.48 because otherwise the only train was at 20 past 8 and I knew already that that one was cancelled and the next one I thought was 10 past, na- 10 past 9 so it's just not really workable mm. I'm lucky I've said you know I can work flexibly I can come in a bit later you know earlier or whatever lots of people don't have that luxury also I kind of like it is quite hard to take seriously isn't it like uh, well, well all of these ones won't run but these ones definitely will Will they? Yeah, yeah. Will they? Well, Can we really trust that? I don't know. It's 
Well, I think it's interesting that you said that anecdotally things have been getting better up till this point because I actually, while I was stuck in a siding for 25 minutes, during which time the train drivers started to explain how we could reclaim our money and then said, over the tannoy, look who I'm talking to. I reckon you guys know how to claim it better than I do because that's how bad it's been this week. I decided to go back through all of the text messages or the WhatsApp messages that I'd sent these guys about why I was going to be late and find out what the most common gripes I'd had up for January. And the first one was the snow. So if we just take that, because that was a week and a half of hell. Yeah. Most commonly, it was delayed trains. Then it was cancelled trains. Then it was overcrowded trains that I couldn't sit down, so I had to work standing up on. No toilets came up really, really commonly. No working toilets, including a bank holiday in which I actually was on a train that had no toilets at all and sat next to a little boy who cried for 45 minutes that he needed a poo, which was literally heartbreaking. A lack of information and communication about what was going on. Literally just people saying, oh, I don't know, it might turn up. It might not. Particularly bad during the snow, that was. When I said, do you think I'll be able to get home tonight? And he said, your guess is as good as mine, which was useful. And then a general gripe about facilities at train stations themselves, like Mm. lifts not working when I had luggage coming back from Ireland. That was a pain. All of these things... I think (laughs) Hannah's question is, why is it such a shit show, Yeah, that's exactly my question. (laughs) I'd love to be able to answer that. We know that there was a lot going on at once. They were trying to bring in lots of stuff. And we've tried to work constructively, you know, giving feedback on what people want and how they're experiencing things. Is it just trains? They want trains. (laughs) Ultimately, loads more people are using the network. There's been underinvestment for years. You know, most people are pretty aware of that. And there has to be some kind of disruption while they bring in new investments. So, for example, when London Bridge was closed, people were pretty patient. They knew what they were getting. But then they did expect that when some big changes like the timetable change would be phased in, there might have been some better planning around it. Um, So I think it's, it's fair to say we will be expecting the industry not only to get things running again ASAP, but to then be able to explain to people what's happened. And then as well as that, to acknowledge the impact it's had with proper compensation. So not just, you know, if you're delayed 12 times in a month, you can get something off your season ticket, but genuinely... You know, you've had an absolute nightmare every day. And yes, you were only five minutes late this day, but you were three hours late this day. We're going to do something for you. And I'd, I wouldn't like to tell them what that is, but I would like to think that would, there would be generous, reasonable and understanding of, you know, people are stuck with the trains. It doesn't yeah. tend to be that you've got a choice. You can't be driving to central London. No. It does seem to be a lot of the onus placed on the customer to wow. do the legwork to mm. get any sort of compensation. We, we've we said that for a while and that there's no reason why, especially with things like contactless payment, they shouldn't be able to do automatic refunds. We've asked that this be looked at before. We'll still keep on pushing for it or even just making it easier. Even if you still have to do the donkey work because maybe you're like me and you work a completely random pattern, you know, so they can't say, right, we know you're definitely going to be due three days back. They should just make it easy because at the minute you have to sort of look it up and then check your train times and provide all the information 25 times. What can people do? Uh, I mean, obviously, there's you can get you, your money back and you can... Perhaps, but what can people do to sort of lobby on a, a, a scale to actually get this done more? I mean, because the, the truth is, most services you can boycott, but unfortunately with trains you can't. 
apart from screaming into the sky, do we write to our MPs? What, what, what's the what best way forward? a lot of people screaming into the sky? Yeah. <laughs> like a flash mob? Oh, yeah. yeah. A screaming that flash mob, yeah. A um, screen. <laughs> talk back to the train companies. Um, don't just do angry tweets. File, file an official complaint. Um, you know, make some noise. Also, claim the compensation you do. Um, I know this is, again, putting the onus back on passengers but when we looked at it before we found about 80% of people who were entitled to get some compensation didn't and it might be an annoying amount of £3.50 but it all adds up so and it also is money that is owed to you so claim it send the message that way that the service is unacceptable file a complaint um, do take to Twitter um, you could try getting your local MP involved a lot of them are very involved I mean it's a huge issue because it's the local economy it's not just individual people it has the the bigger picture effect Um, and talk to us as well so we go out and we do proper surveys so you may get handed a questionnaire on a train or at a station or on another mode of transport um, one of our other ones so please do take the time to fill it in because it's these real human you know I was actually on the train this is actually what happened specific feedback that we can use which is brilliant but also sometimes we just ask people to take part in our transport user panel and tell us stuff online or tweet us and tell us stuff and then we use those stories we give the stats to the people that made decisions but we also say you know we've got this woman who's had to take a full day off work to take her daughter to her A-levels because they couldn't rely on the train that's just happened it's stories like these that make a really big difference so yeah keep telling us it's at transport focus okay can i ask you one more thing whenever you talk about the trains eventually the argument of taking the trains back into public ownership raises its head do you have an opinion on that as an organization we have long said that passengers don't really care who the name is on the door and who's running things behind the scenes they just want it to work and that's true um i personally sort of compare it to Brexit um, people want change but you need to tell them what the change will be as well you can't you know if you ask people if they want nationalisation they might say yes but do they know how much money will continue going in and who will be running it and all the rest of it people tell us we ask them all the time what their priorities are and what they want is to buy a ticket for a train service that's going to work it's going to be reliable it's going to be reasonable value for money and there's going to be enough room to sit down or stand, depending on which kind of service you get. And that's the key things, and that's what they want, and they don't really care how they get it. So sometimes nationalisation comes up and seems to be a huge issue, and other times it's more about who's running this franchise. But really what it comes down to is, I don't really want to have to think about it. I just want to buy a ticket, go to work, you know, think, when I leave work I'm going to be able to... I don't know, make it back for a drink with my friends or be able to pick the kids up without a 15 quid late fine. That's what I want. I don't really care about the politics. I don't think we can have someone come in and talk to us about trains without asking you what you felt about Jeremy Corbyn's little trick of sitting down and sending a picture. That wasn't a trick. I didn't mean that he was pretending. I just mean it was still like a... He was having a go at the trains. Yeah. That's what I meant. To be honest, it got the conversation going. It got people sharing their experiences. So we're all for, you know, take a picture, tell us what happened, tell the world what happened. You know, let's let's keep it up there. Transport only tends to make the headlines when stuff's going wrong. So make the most of it when it is to get change. Yeah. Agreed. To an extent, be more Corbyn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Sarah. That's been really helpful. Thanks for having me. 
You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. I'm joined by Kate Borsay, broadcaster, sports and news presenter and co- co-founder yeah co-founder, and co-founder of the offside rule podcast yes yes really nice to join you jen it's very nice to have you here because you sort of gave me my break as it were <laughs> in sports journalism. i think that's probably laboring it a little bit well you know you let me write for you and i didn't know very much so, <laughs> so uh, that you was did nice very well Thanks. I enjoyed it. So Kate is here to talk to me, to talk to us rather, about the upcoming World Cup. Yeah. Kate, are you excited? I'm getting excited now. I think I've learned after many decades. Mm-hmm. I'm not 55, it's okay. But, I, but I've learned after many tournaments not to get too excited. <laughs> and also, as a journalist, you have to try and remain a little bit impartial mm. and see the merits and the faults of every side going as well as the country hosting it. So you always pull back a little bit, but this is the first major tournament that I haven't been to in quite some time. So I'm going to be home, sort of UK side, for all of this. So that will be quite interesting for me. Is there any... Is it just work commitments? Or is yeah. there any other reason why you're not going no, to this No, there's one? no other reason other than that I've got a lot of work on here, mm. a mixture of news and sport, and it means that I can't take a month or what? It isn't even a month, it's six weeks, really, mm. if you're yeah. a journalist going out yeah. there. So, look, I'm going to start with the with the obvious thing to zone in on. Mm. Talk to me about the England squad, Kate. Is it any good this time? Well... We're secretly excited by it, not because mm. I think the press and the likes of us dirty scoundrels think it think that England are going to win it, but just that England might surprise us. Mm-hmm. In the past tournament, we failed to get out of the group stage. That was the last World Cup in Brazil, and that was just awful. Yeah. And we all had our hearts broken, and having been at both tournaments, especially in Brazil, it mm. hurt like hell. Yeah. To the point that people were giving up on our last game because we were already out and wearing gimp suits out, yeah. in, out in the Brazil heat. That's how bad it was yeah. for England fans. It was awful. So we are quietly optimistic, and I think what's key about this England team is that it's younger than mm-hmm. it has been in a very long time. They've got a young manager in Gareth Southgate, mm-hmm. and to some extent there's no pressure on them. This is where I feel my responsibility as a journalist, because I think I'm not going to build it up for them. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone, in fact, I don't want anyone to talk about it too much. I just want to see what they do. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Scrap this. <laughs> Fast forward a few minutes and don't you'll be listen. fine. <laughs> I saw a tweet on my way here, actually, which said, and I was going to ask you what is different about this team under Southgate, but I just saw this tweet just now, which said that what Southgate has done is he's built this, like, cohesive kind of, kind of like, let's all chat about our feelings and stuff, kind (laughs) of a vibe where they're kind of treated as people before they're treated as athletes. Yeah, so it's a little bit more intuitive, I think. Mm. And the advantage that Gareth Southgate's got, the England manager, is that he knows really, really well between five and seven of these players because mm. they've played with him through the youth ranks. Yeah. There's also success for them to draw on, you know, particularly from the Under-20 World Cup. There is a hint of win about certainly the, the kind of lower youth ranks of the England sides now. So there's some inspiration to be taken there. We've got lots of young players. And when you look at people like Jesse Lingard, who sounds like he's Swedish, by the way, but he is English. Yes, confusing. Um, yes. Mm. And Deli Ali, mm-hmm. who sounds like a dodgy street just off 
Moscow. Mm-hmm. When you look at those players, they are full of confidence. And I think because they haven't been broken by what's traditionally happened with England yes. teams, which is that they do really well in qualifying, in fact, are pretty much faultless in qualifying, get to a major tournament, and then the wheels come off. It all falls apart for mm-hmm. them. So hopefully that's what's different this time. And I think for the first time in a long time, Gareth Southgate's actually given us a style, mm-hmm. actually given us a kind of a style of playing you know I won't get too technical but he's set upon a certain look for this England side and a certain setup and it looks good and it looks decisive whereas in the past we've always looked like we're going to go one way and then if you're Roy Hodgson for example you you get to a major tournament and then you throw the whole thing that the whole last two years experience out mm. and you go for something completely different or if you're Roy Hodgson by the way you let your team sheet be filmed underneath a glass hotel table for the world to see. Mm. Uh, hopefully Gareth won't be doing that. No, I think not. He doesn't. He looks like someone who wouldn't do that. He looks like he means business. <laughs> do you know what? When, when it comes to major tournaments, yeah. Jen, we just can't predict because there will be some sort of clangor because there always is. You know, this, this is football, guys. Sorry, but it doesn't always work the way that you think it's going to. Don't take it too seriously, for goodness no. sake. And enjoy, you know, enjoy some of the some of the more obscure matches as well, because there's some you can watch some like really, really awesome matches by like random little teams. That yes, you... yeah, I think I think Saudi Arabia are playing someone random in the first couple of games. In fact, the first few games are really random and mm. and kind of not that exciting before we before we get kind of further into the group games. But yes, yes, you can see people making their debut. Panama in our group making their World Cup debut. Mm-hmm. Should That's be exciting. exciting. Yeah, a couple of South American teams. Tunisia as well in our group as well, and Belgium, who are the biggest threat to us, really. Yes, Belgium are. But the group that we would be up against after that, it's an easy group, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, if we finish runners-up of our group, mm. which I think is... Likely. Is probably likely, yeah. and is a good place to be, mm-hmm. we'd face Poland, Japan, Colombia, Senegal. Now, Colombia's, you know, always around and about and has the potential I mean, they could do something they were I was out in Brazil and, and kind of watched the mm-hmm. whole James Rodriguez who's the one of the main guys for, for Colombia watched him become a star and watched that Colombian team become you know become everyone's adopted favourite mm. team basically so if that momentum goes with them again then yeah possibly but look if we get through that quarterfinals Brazil or Germany yeah that's not great is yeah, it yeah so that's where we have to look at the yeah. fact that if we get through the group stage Jen brilliant yeah good yeah and that's an improvement mm-hmm. okay if we get through the next round and we reach the quarterfinals that I think is about as much as we can hope for and I think that would be very respectable. Decent. That would be totally decent. Yeah. Based on a new side, a very young side, and a new manager. That's great because that gives us something really good to build on then. Yeah, absolutely. So not this time. Maybe <laughs> next time. But but do watch the games, guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> We're talking about Brazil and Germany, and I think we've, we've said um, we can't win it, unfortunately. It's <laughs> unlikely that we will win it. Fine. That's okay. I'm cool with that. <laughs> We've all done the therapy yeah. session now with that. Netherlands would normally be my second choice. Well, you, well, you can't have them. No, I can't. No, because they're, not, they're not there, and neither are Italy. Yeah, yeah, that, which is weird, isn't it? It feels a bit weird. That it is not quite weird, it. and you can expect to see one other major side go out because they always do mm. go out at the group stages. Don't know who yet. Let's see. So, Brazil and Germany, yeah, would probably both be in with the. Who do you yeah. think are the favourites? 
Well, on paper, the favourites. No, they're not actually really? because because um, France are my favourites because I really like what? watching them. Mm-hmm. But big question marks over their defence. They're a team with bags of potential. Mm. Haven't realised it yet. They've got a great team. They have got an amazing team, but they've not done it yet, Jen. Mm. There is no... There's no record there for that that particular side. They are, you know, good up front. Paul Pogba, Giroud, all very good. Much promise, not Mm. fulfilled yet. So I'm going to really enjoy watching France, Mm -hmm. and I really hope that they do well. If you want to go for kind of the bookies' favourites, I haven't looked at the odds, actually, but, you know, Germany won it in 2014. Their squad, look, they could have chosen... In fact, they had a pool of about 50 players that they could choose from. Leroy Sane, you know, such a decent player, not in the squad. I'd love to have those problems, actually, if I was Gareth Southgate. Brazil, again, you know, it depends whether they can realise what we think has been building under Tite, their manager. Confidence is key for them. Neymar didn't have such a good time um, in uh, Brazil. Now, of course, he's one of the contenders for the Golden Boot, one of the contenders for player of the tournament. They've got about two quality players in every position. Brazil so they are you know in yeah. terms of a whole team they are completely covered and it's a it's quite it's a different um it's a different setup isn't it to the olympic team there's different yes. rules but obviously they did win but they did. at the olympics yeah, yeah. So, so i think yes you can credit them with that but a major t- i mean the olympics is so different to a, mm. to a major tournament it's so different brazil definitely one of the favorites um let's see Spain, not a lot of people talking about them, but no. don't don't write them off. Lopetegui, their manager, actually has had a really good mm-hmm. time with them. I think so. He managed them at youth level, and I I could be wrong, but I don't think they've ever lost under him. So that's you know a great stat. In fact, that's a good stat stat for the pub. But obviously, you'll mm. need to check it's right, folks. So you'll have to okay. you'll have to look it out. Check it's right. <laughs> check it's and if right. If it is, it's a great stat. <laughs> if you fancied a punt on. A random team with very good odds. Oh. I don't know the odds of any of them. Basically, are there any dark horses yeah. in this competition? Yeah, there are. People will talk about Belgium, but again, if you want to sound informed, you know, Belgium is so last tournament, you know. Mm. Well, of course they are a team of great promise, but they're no longer dark horses, is my point. Right, okay, yeah. And and they, you know, they they too fall apart a bit when when they get mm-hmm. to major tournaments. So, you know, Uruguay. Oh, my dark horse tip. Mm. One of the popular ones. Their centre-backs, actually, won the Europa League with mm. Atletico Madrid. I won't get into names and stuff, but they basically got some you know, winners in their team already. Goals are really important, of course, in this tournament. They've got Suarez and Cavani up front, mm-hmm. two very reliable goal scorers, always able to turn it on. Suarez is the one who used to bite people, FYI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that happened yeah. in Brazil. Yes, he did. Yes. Yeah. Um, He's got quite big teeth as well, hasn't he? <laughs> He does. They do lend themselves to a good chunk to those teeth. Very odd behaviour. Yes, yeah, and and, and it wasn't the first time that he'd bitten either. Their coach Oscar Tabares. Well, he um, he actually suffers from a really degenerative muscular disorder. So you'll see him with crutches. Fair play to him Mm -hmm. because he's you know physically suffering quite a bit and is like no I'm going to take this team forward Um, and they're really lovely to watch Uruguay actually they should get through their group easily potential quarterfinal with France if they make it through to the quarters that that's going to be the main test for Uruguay really so yeah I think Uruguay worth a punt 
Right, so say you're a novice to football. Yeah. You don't know a lot. I once asked Dion Dublin this question, and I can't remember what he said to me. Um, <laughs> Matt, did he talk about zonal marking, maybe? Oh, did he? Know. Possibly. What could you say, if you're in the pub and people are having a chat about football and you don't really know what you're talking about, what could you just, like, drop on them? Yeah. To have, obviously not something that they then ask you loads of questions, because that will be embarrassing uh, if you then don't have answers. But what could you say to make yourself sound like you knew what you were talking about? You could talk about the England axis, the axis that is Harry Kane up front, Sterling just behind him, mm-hmm. Deli Alley on one side, Jesse Lingard on the other. You can also call it a diamond. Yes. So there's been a big debate before this tournament. Is Harry Kane okay to be up front on his own? Okay. That means a lone striker. So normally the, the real traditional football formation, 4-4-2, four, four, two, two strikers up front, four in midfield, four at the back. That, that yeah. axis, that diamond, mm-hmm. really important to England. Okay. So that's what you can say. You can say, well, I mean, the axis of Harry Kane, uh, <laughs> Sterling and, I can't even, Deli Ali. Is that who you said? Delhi Alley. Uh, the axis of those three. Yeah. Really important to England. Yeah. And then go to the bar. Yeah. And then and no then one order will ask something. you anything else. And yeah. And you'll just have said yeah. something like really smart and they go, oh, I didn't yeah. know they knew. I mean, you can also, that. you know, you could also talk about Gary Cahill being the most capped senior player. I've actually got here the average age of the England team. Oh my gosh, here's a good one for you. Mm-hmm. According to when the squad list came out, Harry Kane is the second heaviest player in the entire tournament. Wow. Now, I'm not suggesting that you bandy this fact around the pub, but what I'm saying is that you might go, oh, isn't it ridiculous that when the team list came out, Harry Kane was the second heaviest player in the entire tournament? Actually, England defender Harry Maguire is one of the heaviest. He's quite tall, um, though, isn't he, Harry Kane? Harry Kane is quite tall. Harry, Harry Maguire, quite tall as well. So, you know. Um, I'm sure he's not the tallest, though. He's quite a slight man, Harry Kane. He 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 won't be the tallest person there. No, I I think that it's that that you can guffaw with your mates at the pub about how FIFA must have got that wrong mm-hmm. when all the official squads were announced. I think I think you could you could probably say that. I'll tell you another good one. Please do. Right here here now now this is this is playing on names. Um, Ashley Young mm-hmm. is actually the oldest member of the England squad. Trent Alexander-Arnold, mm-hmm. Liverpool player, 19, yep. youngest player in the team, very exciting player. So if you want to look like you know your stuff, just say, fan. yeah, yeah. Well, FYI. just say, I'm really excited to see Trent Alexander-Arnold, not a public schoolboy, along with Ruben Loftus-Cheek. But by the way, there's, there's a lot of double-barreled yeah. action going on. But yes, Trent Alexander-Arnold. But if you want a bit of banter for the pub then you know you say oh i really want to see him give trent alexander arnold a try it's all very exciting it's okay thank you very much for joining us to talk about the world cup can you tell us a bit about your excellent podcast <laughs> yeah myself and another broadcaster run something called the offside rule and we've been going for yonks now about six seasons and it's a female fronted football podcast mm-hmm. It's not a women's football podcast. We do talk about women's football, but it's a female-fronted football podcast. And what we've been doing for the last season is we've been doing big exclusive interviews with big names in football, like Joe Hart, England goalkeeper. A lot of you will know him. He's not going to the World no, Cup, by not. the way. Yeah. So players like Joe Hart, actually, we went and spoke to Sven-Goran Eriksson out in his Swedish lodge. 
Mm. How was that? I didn't go, actually. Hayley McQueen and Lindsay Hooper went. And Lindsay Hooper got... A, I, think they, I think they drove to... Would this make sense? Would they drive to Denmark or drive to Norway and then... Yeah. Or fly into Norway and then drive to Sweden? Would that make sense? I think they're all... It's kind of a kind of a kinder. Um, And Lindsay drove them down a ski pass at one point, which was, which I I think, I think an Instagram video is floating out there somewhere. Sven was very lovely, actually. Really uh, charming, I imagine. Charming. And Mm. I think he was a little bit bored. Um, I think he wants to get back into football. He should. He yeah. was quite good at it. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. all right. He, yeah. was, he was a pretty good England manager, I thought. It's just obviously... He was, yeah. And, and, and went a bit wrong he was when the press popular went with the, Yeah, exactly. The, um, yeah. But yeah, the offside rule, um, if you like really interesting chats with people who, who you may not get much from because they're always giving the usual press conference stroke post-match answers it's a really interesting lesson mm-hmm. we speak to managers about finding their way in the game we speak about moments that have never been spoken about before it's just a really in-depth interesting chat mm. and you'll always learn something from them but they're just they're just really nice personal takes on big names in football yeah and female run, so a different perspective. Yes, we. Which is always nice. Yeah, we, we, we have a website, offsiderulepodcast.com, and we, we, we have the podcast too, and Facebook and, 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 and social media. And we're predominantly run by women to get them, help get them into media, help get them into football and um, journalism and broadcasting. And so we are big backers of supporting women who might feel that they've been pushed out of the environment because it can be quite male dominated we're you know really big proponents of um of pushing women forward kate thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you did this week? This week I did 1998's Mulan, which I had never seen before, but I have to say there was a lot of pressure on this film because every time I slagged off a, a Disney film for being sexist before, people would say, oh, you want to watch? And it was either one of two things, Moana, which they were right on, awesome. and the other one was this. So probably most pressure on this to be good. I had high expectations and I actually watched it with Mick. I was so going to say, my question was, dis- was disingenuous. I knew she'd watched. She'd watched. Uh, Jen, did you manage to watch it? Yes, I did. Yay! Two, two, weeks. To you. <laughs> two weeks in a row, guys. Wow. Did you like it? You know what? I did. I've got a couple of issues with it. I don't think there's ever been a, a Disney film that is entirely issue-free. But for the most part, I actually did. Shall I tell you a bit of the plot, just in case anyone hasn't seen Mulan? Okay, so it opens, it's in the olden days, days of yore in the past. Mythical China, yes. Which probably won't make sense as a joke until in about a fortnight, but and then people can come back and listen to it again. We're expanding our callbacks. Let's (laughs) let's leave that in. So it opens at the Great Wall where there's an invasion by the Hun. Huns. Hun. I think the Hun Hun is plural for Hun. Yes. It is. You okay, hon? <laughs> <laughs> well, you should have asked that because he's led by some scary-looking dude. Look Seriously, okay he looks all. almost supernatural and he appears to have a warg, which is a Game of Thrones word for an animal that you can sort of communicate with sentiently. In fact, a lot of it kind of resembles, like they're trudging through snow. There's a wall, there's a, an invading horde and warg, so a lot of it seems to resemble Game of Thrones. 
Meanwhile, in a village in Yeoldi, China, China, yeah, uh, lives uh, a girl called Mulan. She's a teenager, I believe. Is it, is I would say she's probably about Late eighteen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, she On lives with her with her hipster dad, who has <laughs> who has a man bun and kind of interesting facial hair. Yeah. Brews his own coffee, I assume. I quite liked her dad. I thought it was kind of nice. That's right. Um, and she also lives with her mum and her nan, who are both abuzz with talk of matchmakers. And the disappointment was they didn't mean the chocolate variety. No. They meant someone who was, was going to find her someone to wed. Anyway, um, I quite like the family as a whole. Her nan's a bit weird and, and, and irritating, but I thought they seemed all right. Her nan's a saucy one. Her She's nan all is like over people. Kim Cattrall, isn't she? <laughs> like, fucking hell. <laughs> she yeah. She is. Giving it up for the geriatric yeah. massive. Yeah. Oh, I thought it's interesting. This is a family of big tea drinkers, which I think is kind of the reason I like them. But there's an interesting point. Goodness yeah, but they pour time. out like a teaspoonful at a time and drink it. What is the point of that? I would be perpetually dehydrated in China. You might as well just pour that whole like pot into your mouth as do it like that. I've never yep. seen anyone have How a shot of tea before. Well, shot I of can tea. tell you that my dad uh, once went away on business to China and he brought me back uh, like you know eight year old me or whatever I was uh, a tea set and it was very small yeah they are yeah very small but we digress so Mulan goes off to meet the matchmaker and this is where I have my first problem with this is Mulan is uh, a gender non-conforming girl but what happens when she goes to the matchmaker thing is how they portray this gender non-conformity is that they make her really ditzy and really clumsy she's kind of like full-on bridget jones at points mm. where she's like falling over stuff which is the complete antithesis of most gender non-conforming women i know who tend to be quite practical and not complete fall over idiots I, I get it and i hear you and i was one of those kids but I, I was very good at climbing trees but very bad at getting out of them so there was a certain dit- ditziness Okay, so, but yeah, Is I didn't have a lucky n- cricket though. Not being small and not having like thought it through properly. It's a bit, maybe. of a bit of a dick, a bit of an idiot. Well, didn't want to say anything. Thanks, Jim. Anyway, there are they are in the village, and then the army arrives, and her dad has been conscripted to go to the war because the Hun, the weird-looking, terrifying, vampire, eyebrowed the vampire, got fangs and claws. kind of really circular face mm. Hun. Now her dad's already got a limp poor bastard because he's been in a war before I don't think he's old actually I thought they were inappropriately old classic Disney values Um, they can't be that old because look how old the nan was yeah but I didn't think there was that much difference betwixt mum and nan they were both as you would say shaped like brown owls and I don't know I thought they were too old to be her parents late 50s mid to late 50s which is quite old to have an 18 year old daughter Potentially, I don't know. That means you. It, it wasn't out quite as there wasn't quite the disparity there is in say Beauty and the Beast. They hadn't, All right, they hadn't given birth I'll to a take teacup. That. <laughs> so anyway, Mulan decides that her dad can't possibly go to war. He's going to be like killed there. So she decides that she's going to run off and pretend to be a son. At which point, her nan summons some spirits of the old ancestors. World. The ancestors. That's the word. Yeah, uh, to protect her is a bit of a balls up. And what turns up is Mushu, who is a tiny little dragon played by Eddie Murphy. 
Now, now would be the time to stop and have a brief conversation about Eddie Murphy, maybe? Yeah, let's chat about Eddie Murphy. What do you want to say about him, Hannah? Eddie Murphy probably, up until the point I was about 15 or 16, was probably the person who, per second of my life, had made me laugh more than possibly only my dad in real life had up until that point. I was a massive fan. I clearly see him as somewhat problematic from his personal life. He's not necessarily someone I would uh, hold up as a great example. Yeah, shit to Mel B, wasn't Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's quite sexist as well in a lot of other ways. Some of his comedy was, yeah, was really mm. really sexist. There was a massive swathe that happened after Eddie, Mur- Eddie Murphy's character Mushu turned up where Hannah and I just talked about wanting to watch Coming to America. Yeah. To be honest, I would say Trading Places is probably maybe in my, or definitely in my top ten, maybe even in my top five films in, that I've seen the most times in my life and love with all of my heart. It's a great like film. He's also a, fantastic in Shrek. I'd like to give a nod to Beverly Hills Cop, if yeah. I may. Yeah, Golden Child. Yeah. Just get them all out there. Yeah, and in fact, immediately Mickey and I had to stop and watch, and this is a bit more niche, watch probably the greatest <laughs> Eddie Murphy thing ever, which is the scene in Bowfinger where they make him run into traffic. So good. <laughs> and he's just crying his eyes out, just running, <laughs> crying. That's like cars are swerving past trying not to hit him. And we're going to let you go to Starbucks. Yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. <laughs> it's so uh, funny. Yeah, just pause uh, this podcast, go and watch the YouTube video of Eddie Murphy running through traffic in Bowfinger. So this is the point in which the film finally settles on a sidekick because up until this point, there's kind of been like a couple of sidekicks. There was like a cricket. There's this weird little dog that looks like his mum fucked a rabbit. So we we have Eddie Murphy is the sidekick dragon and then the sidekick itself has a sidekick, which is a very small cricket. A lucky cricket. Which is weird. Uh, Jen's looking at me like I've seen this one, honey. You don't have to explain this to me. But this is for the sake of people who are listening. Anyway, she arrives at the army. She passes herself off as a man. And then we meet Captain Lee Shang, who rather nepotistically has been given the job of running this this leg or arm or whatever of the army. And Penis. It's the penis yeah, of the army. By his dad. And he's definitely got a real ragtag army of like old people, really morbidly obese people, incredibly short people. Um, one that I mean, looks like a massive baby. It shouldn't, yeah, that's got like a doll's head on mm, it. Yeah. It's, it's really it's weird. Gone, None of them look gone. Chinese. One of them looks like Lemmy um, <laughs> with a black eye. So to be honest, it wasn't going to be difficult for Mulan to be the best person in this team. This is Now I want to talk here about problem two I have with this film, and this is about Chinese-ness, which is that Captain Li Shang, he's the good guy. You know that because he walks around with his top off a lot. Mm. He's quite westernised looking Chinese man. Did you fancy him, Jen? I knew you were going to ask him that. <laughs> it's been a while since we've talked about wanting to, to yeah, hold I mean, my eyes character. out while these two talked about. He was about. all right. He was all right. He's not. He's not my favourite, but I know. It's like I'd gone to get something out of the kitchen. She went, Mick. He's got his top off. Take your top off. I like dear listeners. Dear listener. <laughs> Tell me tomorrow on Twitter whether you think that I am the person who's been lusting over cartoon characters. Oh, no, characters. no, I'm not claiming I didn't that at start all. this. Okay. Just throwing I it out there. I fancied Robin Hood. Wasn't that how it started? Yeah. This started way before then. Was it? Way Anywho. before then. Anyway. So, you did also you know? fancied Robin Hood. Did, no, oh, I said I fancied Robin oh, Hood. Oh, right. I wasn't putting it all on you, Jen. Uh, yeah. We'll no, just talk Robin. amongst ourselves, dear <laughs> listeners. Anyway. Sorry. Yeah, so he's like quite westernised looking. She's quite westernised looking. Whereas the, the guy who works for his dad, who's actually trying to trip him up, kind of looks like that old style buck tooth 
yeah. like Chinese racist thing yeah. that, that Disney did early. Is he equivalent to the Siamese early. cat in Lady and the Yeah. Top. And also he's mean, like the Siamese cats, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Then we get a training montage, no Phil Collins. Um, <sighs> and so they're ready for war and you get to see her and she's wearing like her full armour and she kind of looks like partly she looked like she's going to be thrown at a Velcro wall and partly she looks like she's going to go into gladiators. Mulan, you will go on my first whistle. <laughs> um, the Hun, all of you, <laughs> you will go on my second whistle. Also, I'm now Sean Connery. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Hun are approaching and there is this, there's this scene where there's sort of some envoys turn up with a message from China going, go away, please. And he sends them back with a, nah, we're not going to go away. And as they're both riding away, right, these messengers, he turns in this, like, really earnest voice, which he talks in the whole way, right? And he turns to the guy next to him and he says, how many men does it take to deliver a message? And then he says, one, and, like, shoots one of the guys that's up with an arrow that's running off. And I said... I thought that was going to be the start of, like, the worst timed joke ever. How, How many, many does it take, take to change a light bulb? To change a light bulb. So from then on in, every time he spoke and when he finished speaking, Mick or I would say, an Englishman and an Irishman and a Scotsman go into a bar. And that joke made us laugh the entire rest of the way through Mulan. So maybe that's partly why I enjoyed it so much. I think when, um, maybe a spoiler alert for, for Mulan, but someone, someone dies... And there's quite an earnest moment. And then I just went very quiet and I went, I say, I say, I say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it absolutely tickled us. Why did the chicken cross the road? <laughs> there's a couple of Disney tropes in it. There's a waterfall. And I have to say, it's the shittest Disney waterfall we've That's seen amazing. yet. But then there's also some things that aren't really Disney. It's including a moment where they're all merrily walking along and singing and hey, we're off to war. Did I, did I, did I? Sing, 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 sing. And immediately they walk into a village that's been burned down and everyone in it's dead. Yeah. And it's a real, like that moment, which is pretty unusual for a Disney film. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you can guess what happens. I'm not going to do complete spoilers, but of course she gets uncovered. And much like Sapper Dorothy, she gets uncovered because she gets injured. And uh, obviously they have to take her clothes off. Also at this point, it's revealed that she has a dragon. The interesting thing is, everybody goes batshit about the news that she's got tits, but nobody cares that she's got a dragon. I was like, I don't understand the logic in that. You Do you know what? Until recently, I didn't know Hannah had a dragon because her tits are so distracting, <laughs> rustling with money. It's <laughs> no one bats an eyelid about the dragon, honestly. Well, presumably... You know, if he's like called upon by the ancestors, presumably everyone's got ancestors and a fucking dragon knocking around, you know. Old news. Well, maybe. There's there's like a great bit at the end where there's this one of these Chinese kind of carnival type monsters turns up at the Forbidden Palace. And I said, I bet that's a Trojan horse. And I said, or a honey. And Mickey said, monster. Which was amazing. Basically, this is just Mick and I laughing for, for like an hour and a half. Anyway, the point that I really wanted to make is she saves the day at the end. Question, does she end up with the man? Rather brilliantly, she does and she doesn't. What happens is, and where they leave it, the ending is, he's going to come round and have a cup of tea. Oh. with her. Well, and by that, I mean a shot of tea. <laughs> with her no, pa- for dinner. With, tea oh, too quick. with her parents 
And it kind of it doesn't do that thing where she immediately and marries him, like always happens in Disney films. So I have to say, all round, that's pretty impressed. With also, her parents and an overly aroused OAP. <laughs> yeah. Also there were a few nice there were a few nice lines in it, like um not sexist Eddie Murphy, uh, where she's like Oh, why won't they, after she's been uncovered and she's like, oh, why won't they listen to me? He says, well, you're a girl now. I'm not listening to you. You're yeah. a girl again. Yeah. I'm not going to listen to you. Which I thought was quite um quite woke for a Disney film. Mm. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. What score are we giving it? Uh, I'm going to give it four and a half. Four and a half what? Four and a half honey monsters. Hour <laughs> five. A packet of sugar puffs. Yeah. That's all for this week. Thanks as ever for lending us your ears. Hope they had fun. Please join us again on Sunday where for the chops there is more of Jen's chat with Kate Borsay, the co-founder of the Offside Real podcast, and they are talking all things World Cup related. In fact, their World Cup runneth over. As if we haven't provided enough joy for your ears, we have our regular weekly playlist, which this week has the theme of trains. And, oh, what's that? Yeah, there's another one because we're also doing a playlist of songs to do with the World Cup. That's right, Soucher! Next week, we're talking to TV writer Julia Rayside about why she is absolutely obsessed with Howard's Way, and also to playwright Rabia Hussein about her new play, Spun. If you fancy seeing our faces in front of your faces and our mouths moving and your ears having an absolutely smashing time, then please go and look at the corking lineup of lineups we've got, which you can find on Sarah's website, sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. We have no London shows now until September when we're back at the Leicester Square Theatre with Nigella Lawson and Jodie Pranger. Mm -mm. But before that, we are all over the shop, including Manchester on June the 26th, where we are at Waterside Arts in Sale. And our guests are Sean Gibson from Carshare and not one, but two absolute Coronation Street doozies with Jenny McAlpine and Sherry Lee Houston. We've also got our Sarah and Hannah and I have yet to wrestle to see who's hosting, but it will be one of us. Just a few days after that, we are at the other end of the country in Essex, in Harwich to be exact, where we're playing the Harwich Arts Festival. And we have the brilliant Jess Foster Q and the excellent Alison Inman, who join me, Hannah and Jen for an in-conversation kind of event with a little bit more wiggle room. It'll be fun. If you're there, if you fancy going there, you should come to that. As ever, it is always helpful to us if you can share the joy and let people know that we are a good thing to listen to. If you've done that, do it again. Now, if you've done that, then why not visit iTunes and rate and review us? We do really like the number five when it comes to stars. Actually, five's my favourite number in general. So let that sway you. I'd love that to sway you. We really do love to hear from you. So if you fancy getting in touch, you can follow us at Standard Issue UK and give us a tweet or you can follow us individually. I'm at Noonan, Hannah is at That Dunleavy and Jen is at Inspiragen. Also, our Jen is doing a bike ride. I say a bike ride. She's doing a hundred mile bike ride for charity and it's a very good charity. She's doing it to raise money for the Samaritans, which is a cause close to all of our hearts. So if you see her tweeting about it, or if you see us tweeting about it, maybe chuck her a quid, a fiver, a tenner, whatever you could spare, because it really will go to an excellent cause. All right, I have wanged on forever, so I will love you and leave you, and we will see you next week. Until then, stay frosty.
standard issue for all women.